Take it away, Derek. What's your question? Why do you guys talk about comics so much? Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? 18 years. <laughs> Toothbrush is still fresh. Did they have sex? Because, I mean, she Hulk, you know. Damn it, Tony. We went an entire episode without mentioning Maggot, and then you ruined it. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? Batman's got his little fishbowl on his head, but <laughs> Superman doesn't. Cyclops was right. Except when he was wrong. Master Bruce, you are calm. I'm going to silently judge all of you. Shut up, beast. <laughs> Shut up. Like I've read it so many times, you know, it pretty much just crumbled in my hands. Come on, old chum. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read him? See, I didn't hate Hellcat until you made me read this miniseries. It was just a joke, but you made it real, Justin. No. You made it real. I, I prefer my Dazzler singing, like, Creedence Clearwater Revival songs at Australian bars. Titty discs. And... <laughs> That's what to be known as from now on. Like, I'm going to go into the Marvel Wikipedia and Whatever it is. <laughs> the worst titty discs. <laughs> get better than that. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? Hey guys, welcome back to another stupendous, spectacular, exciting episode of Fanholes Comics, motherfucker! Do you read them? Hey, what's up guys? This is Derek, Derek WC, and I have not assembled alone. Fanholes, assemble, shout out, let everybody know who's here tonight. Hey, it's Mike, and we owe it to the people not in this chat room to do this episode. Whatever it takes. Hey, this is Justin. Also taking whatever it takes to do the thing. This is Tony. I've seen people die. Whatever it takes. All right. Yeah. So no, nothing too somber. We're, we're doing a podcast. All right. Yeah. Yeah. But in case you haven't figured it out, we are totally whatever. Well, certainly whatever it takes. It, it took it took a number of tries to get us all here together to record this. So it certainly was whatever it takes, even though we, we failed the first couple of times. We stumbled, we falled, and then we got back up again. So we're, we're, we're good. So anyway, we are here tonight to do our customary tie in Avengers Endgame episode. So I guess. By the time you're listening to this, Avengers Endgame should be out in theaters. And my only mandate for this little episode was if if somebody's going to be in that movie, you can bring a comic about it. And that's that was that was kind of as minimal as it got. And so we we have selected a a series of comics for you tonight. And I you know, I I, I don't think it's uh I don't think it's without merit that we we picked a bunch of kick-ass comics tonight. So so uh, yeah, and I I give everybody props because I think they're all really good. But to get things started, to get the ball rolling, we're going in chronological order. And Justin's comic is the the eldest comic in the chat tonight. So why don't you let the listeners know which comic book you brought, why you brought it, and then we'll we'll get into talking about it. So I brought Doctor Strange, Volume 2, Number 56. It has a cover date of December 1982. And if podcasting was a visual medium, there would be a little asterisk right there, and it would say, Editor's Note, December 1982 is also the first appearance of yours truly. So, yay! <laughs> <laughs> and this comic has a cover price of 60 cents. The story is titled A Mystic Reborn. It is written by Roger Stern and illustrated by Paul Smith, who also did the great cover for this issue. 
This issue has Doctor Strange giving details about his origin to a TV crew. It's a basic retelling of his origin with modern art. Wong can't figure out why, after years of secrets, the Doctor would suddenly give his life story away for the public. It turns out the TV crew, they're old enemies of Doctor Strange in disguise. Demonicus, Adria, and Caselius are revealed in Battle of Doctor Strange, but are no match for the Master of the Mystic Arts. And that's the short and sweet synopsis. I brought this issue because I really like Doctor Strange. I always have. I don't think this is the first issue I read, but it's a very close. Like, I think I read some early issues of the same volume, like maybe number two or number three. And then I remember reading this one. Mostly I just kind of remember it for the cover. I always really liked this cover. And I remember the um, artwork by Paul Smith. That really caught my eye when I was really little. And I think that's one of the reasons I was like, oh, Doctor Strange is Doctor Strange has always been cool. But yeah, that's basically why I brought this issue. You know me, I, I kind of like to try and find my earliest issue of a comic whenever we do one of these that's i guess that's my thing but um i'm kind of curious if any of you you guys have ever read this before um i i haven't but it was really funny because i know you're a huge dr strange fan which i am not again this is not any bad thing towards dr strange i think stephen strange is a, a great character but I, I was just never drawn to him and reading this i got throwbacks to the dr strange movie which now i see was actually kind of pretty faithful. You know, it was like people can say about casting whatever they want, but I thought Caecilius was a made up character for the movie. And he's actually a real like, you know, spandex, you know, bad guy. And I was like, oh, that's cool. I learned something. I learned a thing. And you know, you can still learn things in comics. And that was like really entertaining. And this story didn't play out like the movie. It was, there was, there was beats that were similar to the movie. But it was totally a, 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 like, you know, a strange tale, ha ha ha, where, you know, they go into the Doctor Strange's uh, manor and they, they have to deal with stuff that even Strange doesn't want them to deal with. You know, there's there's these artifacts and they, they try to take over from him. And it was like really enjoyable. It was like really good old comic storytelling and you know we have like you know morgana and you have like caecilius and who's the other one justin the uh, other guy oh demonicus demonicus yeah and it was like this like you know trio who like they, they have strange against the wall and he's like dude i knew i knew what you were doing the whole time you know it's like it's like and even though he does kind of trust morgana is like but we'll get into that later with strange at some point in the comics but this is uh you know, a very uh, because the 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 main female bad guy is not Morgana, right? Yeah, her name's Drea or something. Yeah, but Morgana is there. She she's actually more of a love interest for Strange at this point, which does change really badly for him later. But yeah, yeah, this this was a really fun throwback, and as far as the MCU is like. It, it harkened back to the movie, which it was not supposed to do as far as, like, someone who doesn't read comics. But the fact that it did, it was like, oh, Caecilius was, like, a character, and I didn't know that. And, you know, you know what I'm saying? is like, like, when you have that comic knowledge, 
that character in the movie means a little bit more. It's like, oh, he was kind of like a mort, and he wasn't like the big bad. So when he gets killed off, you're not like, oh, just a scrub who got killed just to, like, he wasn't like a Ronin who you care about. It's like, oh, he was kind of a loser. So for him to be beaten by Strange, that's not that big of a deal. He was an enemy of Strange, but you don't feel like you lost something. It's like, oh, he was like one of Strange's first opponents, and he overcame him. So, like, that makes sense, you know? It wasn't like a big bad who should beat Strange, like a Ronin against Guardians of the Galaxy. It was this guy who came in, and he, like, thought he could take Strange, but Strange has gotten his badass reputation by showing his, you know, master of the mystical arts. So, yeah, yeah, I, I really like like this kind of retelling, not even updating, just like a retelling, like you said, of, of his origin. So, yeah, it was, it was really in, enjoyable. In the ensemble films, you were expecting to take a very minor key, back foot, not character front and center kind of role. It's about Tony Stark. It's about Iron Man. He's definitely central to it, as he should be. But I was amazed at how much I got asked to do. I don't. I don't really have that much to add to what Tony said because, like, I'm. I'm not really a Doctor Strange fan myself, and I like. I didn't think Cassilius was like made up in the movie, but I never had heard of him before. Like he was in this movie. So it was nice to read like an actual comic appearance of him. So I appreciate like this issue for that. And like, yeah, I, I mean, retelling the origin, like that's all cool and stuff. And I, 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 I liked the art and I mean, I don't, I don't have a whole lot to say, I guess. Cause like, I guess like I'm unlike Justin, I'm not really a Dr. Strange fan. Like I think he's okay and whatever, but I've never really been interested in reading more about him, but I do appreciate being exposed to like, you know, stuff I haven't read before. So this is, this is the first time I read this issue for the podcast. I think the cover is beautiful I think the interior art is magnificent. Like it's, it, I mean, it's really, really great Paul Smith art. And then the the Terry Austin. It, it does have that. It does have that movie like uh, psychedelic thing. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 the Terry Austin inks are just out. Like it, it just makes the whole Enterprise like really. I mean, it, it's great pencil art to begin with, and then the the inks just enhance it. Like, and it's it it's one of those things where you wish. I mean, I'm not saying that he didn't draw a lot of these issues, but when I was looking at it, I realized because I was like, how come the art wasn't this good when I was reading, you know, like, like Doctor Strange, either when I was, you know, growing up or, or doing research and stuff, because I was like looking at like the, the last thing I remember reading from this volume was because I was doing the Tomb of Dracula, like history of comics on film thing. And I was reading the whole, you know, Montesi formula arc where they go into how, you know, Doctor Strange wiped out all the vampires and all that shit. And, like, the art was not by Paul Smith in that. So I was like, but then when I was looking through, like, other issues surrounding this run of Roger Stern's, like, I, I feel like this is one of these great blind spots in, in my reading, at least, because, and I'm, I'm really happy that Justin brought this particular issue, because it's, it's a well-written issue, and also, like, you know what it kind of reminds me of? Like, this is the Doctor Strange version of my absolute favorite issue of Ghost Rider, which, you know, is the issue 68, where it also retells Johnny Blaze Ghost Rider's origin, but in that, it's like, he goes in 
to confess to a priest and then he goes into his backstory whereas the framework of this is you had all the reporters coming in and Doctor Strange is going into his his beginnings his origins and everything and in the Ghost Rider story the twist is the priest isn't a priest the priest is a crook who like you know clobbered the priest and like he's hiding out in the church and Ghost Rider of course is there to to you know basically bring him to justice and in this the twist is the reporters are not real reporters they're a trio of you know magicians it's demonicus adria and and caecilius superstar movie star caecilius you know so and and so you're you're like oh okay cool like i get that like that's that's kind of like a, a cool twist to it too and and you're you're still exposed to like if you weren't familiar with strange's origins or backstory or whatever you've got that in front of you the the only thing i was going to say though is like this is not this is not morgan lefay like oddly enough like it, it reminds me of the the doctor strange tv movie where morgan lefay becomes reincarnated and at the end yes, of that tv yeah. movie it, but it's not the same character like she she becomes like one of strange's girlfriends and then she writes like this book about him and reveals like all his secrets so like the relationship doesn't end well but not because she turns into like a i don't know a witch or a super villain or anything like that so just to clarify that but i you know and then and then the other thing that i kind of liked was i mean i, I guess I, I i've only seen it sparringly and i i kind of like i liked when it was a unlockable costume or whatever in marvel versus capcom and i kind of wish there was a marvel legends version of it but i i really dig the old school doctor strange outfit before he had the cloak of levitation where it's like the all blue outfit with the blue cloak and it's the whole you know first appearance steve ditko version of doctor strange and like in in a lot of those flashbacks he's got that that outfit and everything. And I, I, I just, I love the way those colors work. You know, you know what it kind of reminds me of Justin, you know how, like when they tried to, uh, clean up, he, he uh, almost like a tunic. Yeah. You know how, when they tried to clean up the, um, the Colin Baker era, Dr. Who costume, cause it was so loud, but in those audio books, they gave him kind of like that, that nice oh. blue outfit. Mm -hmm. Like, so th yeah. this version of Dr. Strange, like kind of reminds okay. me of that where it's like, it's this nice clean look where it's not, you know, it's not super gaudy and doesn't have a bunch of loud colors. And I, I've always appreciated that, that version of Dr. Strange's outfit and everything. So I, I liked that. I liked seeing Wong and his girlfriend, Sarah Wolf. Like I, I dug that cause I, I remember her a little bit from, cause I, I think like my, Again, I, I didn't have a strong, like, when I was growing up, like, a strong appreciation for Doctor Strange. Like, I think I read it mostly when, like, it dovetailed into, like, the crossover events, like Infinity War, or, or, or like, if Ghost Rider showed up in Doctor Strange, I would buy it. You know, like, things like that. So, like, if there were guest stars and stuff, I would get the issues and stuff. And then, I think later, sort of when I was getting, like, you know exposed to like different things and i read like the ditko masterworks then i would go into like these back issue bins and i started getting like the old like butch jackson geis like you know some of the early issues from the next volume of dr strange like where he fought like i think he fought like demogoblin and the acts of vengeance and enchantress and stuff so there were like those cool things so i remember buying those and i'm pretty sure 
like Sarah Wolf was still around in that, and so was so was Morgana. But at that point, she had written some tell-all book about Stephen Strange or whatever. And I think he had like an eye patch, and it was all you know, Rintra and all that, all that kind of stuff. So like, I kind of I have some familiarity with that era of it. And then I also like the the, the last thing I read from this volume besides the Montessi formula was that initial arc, like with Silver Dagger, where it was like the Steve Englehart type stuff, which was really good. You know, the Shumagorath Silver Dagger, like that was very good as well. So I, I guess all I can say is that I, I think the art in this is fantastic. The, the, the story I think is outstanding. It's a great sort of done in one issue to bring to, you know, to talk about on a podcast and everything. And I mean, I can't say enough nice things about the writing and the art and, and it kind of makes me want to read what I think is like an overlooked for me. Like I, I, I have not read all of Roger Stern's Dr. Strange. And, and I think that's something I should probably rectify. So yeah, I, I really liked it. Yay. <laughs> that, that, that makes me especially happy because we all know you hate magic. I do hate magic, but but this but this 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 issue was really good, and and yeah. like the, the the thing that's sad about it is I I feel like I want to read all of Roger Stern's run, but I know all the art in Roger Stern's run is not all as awesome as this. But I know there's more issues that he's done as well that Paul Smith has done that are really really nice. So I I, I was just thinking like when you were saying that Morgana like writes a tell all book about him, I was kind of like. You know, what does that book say? Like, you know, he has magical powers, but he still le- leaves the toilet seat up. <laughs> <laughs> Why does he keep using my deodorant? It's He's like the you, sorcerer supreme, but he you, can't leave the toilet seat up. You, you think you think the cloak of levitation would take care of that stuff, but no. And, and, and I, I think this does a really good job of making Doctor Strange like this uh, really smart guy. Because throughout the whole thing, everybody is like, you know, questioning him as like, is this smart? You know, is this a good idea letting these reporters in? And it's it's kind of to his plan, you know, it's like, I'm going to reveal these people. And I don't know. It, it, yeah, it just it just flowed really well. I agree with you, Derek. And and Justin, yes, it, this is a really this, I, I think if you don't know Doctor Strange, this would be a, a really good like putting your foot down and saying, I want to read some Doctor Strange. I think this is a good like step into that world for him. Yeah, it's a good you know, like, it's a good introductory issue. Yeah, and like I said, this was one of the first issues I read, so that probably added to you know why I like Doctor Strange so much. And you know, Derek was saying where were these issues at when he was reading them? You know, especially for the artwork. Like I think reading these so early kind of like ruined me to some other stuff because I remember you know like when I was going back and getting back issues and being disappointed with some of the artwork like i mean even some of the early like strange tale stuff i was just kind of i mean i like steve ditko's art but i remember like being young and being like oh this artwork is old yeah and, like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, I appreciate it now but i remember just you know being a kid and going from like you know this paul smith artwork to like the kind of i, I mean i don't mean this uh as a bad thing, but like the kind of like more simplistic Steve Ditko early Strange Tales stuff, I was kind of like, oh, okay. Yeah, this this actually makes you like, even if you're going to be banished to a nether realm and be tormented for the rest of your life because you picked up the wrong thing, it makes you want to walk into the Sanctum Sectorium. Like, ooh, I want to see what's in there, you know? Well, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, yeah. 
I was going to say, just look at the title page. I mean, that's just a really great shot. And it's just Dr. Strange walking down a flight of stairs with yeah. like the sanctorum like window behind him. Like that's a beautiful shot. Like that yeah. can be like a, a poster or something. Yeah, for sure. Like, yeah. That, that's a gorgeous, gorgeous introductory piece and then the i I guess what i was going to say is just to put it into context like like if if you're not familiar with dr strange but say you are familiar with i don't know like superman or batman or something like that to me it's like it's like paul smith is the the john byrne or you know the you know i don't know you know heaven forbid you know the jim lee or you know or, or or something you know some you know modern context you know neil adams whatever batman artist you want to use yeah, as, kind of the gate, gatekeeper of how you see that character yeah yeah and well but not just that but that it's 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 something that that you were exposed to that was really outstanding and advanced for its time i guess whereas yeah, yeah. you know like like if in other words like there's nothing wrong with steve ditko just like there's nothing to me in my mind there there's there's nothing wrong with say like wayne boring or you know kurt swan or whatever but it's just going from john byrne and then picking up issues of kurt swan superman that's a rude awakening for some people if you were mm-hmm. going into it expecting john byrne and it's the same notion if you go into things and and your first you know love of dr strange was having this great fantastic paul smith artwork and then and then you go back and you see you know steve ditko or frank springer or whoever it is right and you're just kind of like oh like it's not all like paul smith and and again it's not to disparage any of the other artists because I, I I like all those artists, but they're it's definitely a vast departure in terms of style and and the you know the advancement of the 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 medium you know so it's like it's not it's not the same thing per se so I, I could understand why that kind of thing would be a, a rude awakening to somebody. Dude, you can't win this. I'm going to give you one chance here. Surrender. Doom does not surrender. Who's next? Yeah, so who's next? Next up is Tony Jackson. Tony Jackson has the next eldest comic in the room, and he he brought a certain issue for us to look at tonight. So why don't you let us know what you brought and what it's all about, and then we'll talk about it. I, I did bring an issue, but it's actually a graphic novel. It is Emperor Doom from June 1987. It is a graphic novel, number 27 in the graphic novel line of the original graphic novels. The writers are Dave McElhinney, Mark Grunewald, and Jim Shooter. They all collaborated to make this really fun, huge comic. Penciler is Bob Hall. He also did inks along with Keith Williams. Ken Lopez did the cover. I will try to do the basic synopsis because this is a really huge issue. Emperor Doom is where Dr. Doom, who, in my mind, I will go into this in a minute, is a very overlooked character in the MCU, not just because he's not allowed in the MCU before this, you know, huge Fox merger. He has also had incredibly terrible outings in his own movies from Fox. Poor, poor Victor Von Doom. But anyway, let's go beyond that. I'll talk about that in a minute. Victor Von Doom has basically been a schemer for most of his life he is always trying to conquer the world but only for order not chaos he is not a madman in some ways 
So he reaches out to Zebediah Kilgrave, and by reaches out, I mean enslave, because he has an idea to take over the world. He will use the Purple Man's influence abilities. Zebediah Kilgrave is also known as the Purple Man to be able to make anyone bend to his will. If you've seen any of the Jessica Jones first season episodes, you know what his powers are. He's able to harness that into basically crystals to mind control people. He is able to do that to basically get Namor, the Submariner, to join his cause in a very interesting way. He will join forces. Submariner can control control the, the seas of the ocean. He will control the land. They form a truce. And this is where things go crazy because Doom needs Submariner to take out specific targets. Basically, non-organics or people who can basically fight the will of the Purple Man. One of those being Namor. That's why he recruited him. And there's also Machine Man, a few others. I really like Machine Man. That's why I spoke about him first off. Ultron, other characters who are not either biological or have a very strong will. Even some of the Avengers, like Captain America, fight it, but they, they can't. One of the reasons I like this graphic novel is it has a really good focus on the West Coast Avengers, who is one of my favorite teams of all time. And they actually, this is where it ties into what we're doing with the Avengers Endgame. There's a lot of old school representatives on this team, like Iron Man, Hawkeye, and whatnot. Uh, we also have Mockingbird, who I, I really love. And, you know, we have, like, Tigra and who, who you have. Uh, but and whatnot? Is, is, that, is, that, is that short for Captain America? <laughs> He's not on the WCA. He's in this graphic novel, though. I thought I said Captain America. There's a lot of old school representatives on this team, like Iron Man, Hawkeye. And whatnot. Okay. I was talking about the, uh, the the West Coast Avengers. All right, that team. I'm building up to it, Derek. Come on, give me a minute. <laughs> Captain America. Yeah, but uh, but like the well, they're they're the first team to be kind of like shown a spotlight. And Simon Williams, Wonder Man, is going to basically a sensory deprivation tank to help hone his ionic powers. And I did say Captain America was fighting the influence at first, but. The influence is so strong. And eventually, while Simon Williams is in the tank and sensory, sensory deprivated for almost a month, well, probably a month, Dr. Doom's influence takes over and he's able to corral Vision, um, Hercules, well, not Hercules. Is Hercules in the sky? I can't remember. Um, but he, he's able to corral a lot of major league hard hitter Avengers to his will because of the power of basically Zebediah Kilgrave, the Purple Man, in a huge crystal orifice that, like, is transmitting power, and he takes over the world. And Simon Williams wakes up, the Man of Wonders, and he wakes up in a world that is actually not that bad. There, there's a fun line, like, trains run on time, people aren't fighting, but is this what the people want? There, there's these people who are so powerful patriots like Captain America who are under the will of Dr. Doom and he's the president of the United States and 
basically emperor of the world. He's subverted Russia, all the major countries. And what is going on? So he at first fights, but then he is attacked by Captain America. And he, you know, gets a pretty good thrashing. He's like, I can't fight Cap. I mean, this is Cap. It goes downhill from there. Simon begins to doubt himself. Is like, should I do this? But during this time, Doom gets noticed of Simon, you know, from, you know, communications. He, there, there's someone who's going to fight him. And he's like, oh, maybe this is what I want because I'm becoming bored with this, this, this life. I, I have no confrontation. But he, he is quickly dissuaded because Simon kind of quits, more or less. And then he meets this woman. And she's just a normal girl living her life. She's blind. She doesn't know who Simon is. And she talks to him as a normal person. And Simon doesn't really have that a lot in his life. And she just speaks some words of wisdom to him. And he has to fight. And, you know, during this time, you know, like, he, he's like, what should I do? So he goes to confront his Avenger friends, even if it means fighting them. And it's it just goes crazy fast-paced after this. He, he tries to get back, like Captain America, Iron Man, you know, all these people who want to fight but have been subverted. And even Iron Man has problems because this is kind of during his time where he's having trouble. And they go to, you know, Latveria to fight, you know, the Doombots. The, the, you know, machinations of Dr. Doom. And they bust in and there there's a point where it seems like everything is lost. He's going to take control, but the will to fight for freedom, you know, there's just like that whole idea of what are we actually fighting for? You know, even Namor breaks the spell of Dr. Doom. And like I said, this is a quick synopsis. I'm, I'm, I'm glossing over a lot of things. At the end, Namor breaks, you know, the crystal chasm that Zebediah Kilgrave is in. Unfortunately, there's some things that happen where Zebediah dies. Not because of Namor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much because of Namor. But uh, Doom almost lets it happen. He, he, he seems not happy to win this way in certain ways. Like, he, he fights. He does put up a really good fight. But it almost seems like he's bored. He, he's tired of this quick subservience. It's not the ideal plan for conquering the world that he saw. He wants people to bow to doom, but because they want to out of their own feelings for the great and powerful doom. And that's a really interesting idea. It's like he doesn't want to just mind control people he wants to be that great leader that people follow of their own whim and then we're left with this kind of uh bittersweet ending where the avengers have won and, and captain america did do a lot of work he, he definitely did Derek. don't get me wrong we're left with like you know did doom let us win or did we win but it is it is a win it's a victory and even then, there's people fighting, and and then you know we have the the whole world arguing with each other again, and and you know political status, and it's like 
was that better or was it not? You know, it, it's a very interesting idea, you know. And that that was Emperor Doom. So I mean, I I think this probably goes without saying, but I mean, this is this is a Doctor Doom vehicle. This graphic novel. I mean, he, he oh, yeah, totally. for the most part, I mean, ostensibly he's the main character. It's his his goal and everything. I mean, I suppose the only other person you could look at as the protagonist would be Simon Williams, you know, because he's he's yeah, the one guy who sort of survives the the sort of purple man mental mind wash of of you know the entire world or whatever um i i i guess i don't know i i've just got some things that that i noticed as far as going over like specifics and everything but i mean i i the only reason why i bring up it's a it's a doom vehicle is doom gets much love much fan aura and everything like that i mean i love I mean, I, I, you know, that, that's the thing. It, it's like him, the kingpin, daredevil. There's, there's a few select people who just have the stones to say no to Purple Man. And, and he's definitely one of them. And, and, and the reason why it's even more impressive, I think, is because the notion is Doom's augmenting Purple Man's existing power so that it can, you know, go worldwide, right? Like, because he's got them in that, contraption or whatever you know and and it's funny when he just comes in he takes off his mask he's like go ahead try to control me try and 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 it's just like you know i i love when he's like who deserves to rule you know like you know clearly it's him because he's not gonna fall for anybody's bullshit you know like so i mean there's there's a lot of cool things about dr doom having said that i mean i suppose there's a lot of uh you know sort of the, the the avengers i guess you know do get kind of mind controlled so so i i, I could see like if maybe justin wasn't happy to see like you know vision dancing around like an idiot or whatever you know like that that kind of thing but i mean i i don't know i i don't know exactly what his take on that is but i guess that's something that occurred to me so i figured i'd just bring it up and ask him uh i don't know i mean this it's not a it's not a vision story. He doesn't play any kind of role other than, than to get owned. I guess the way he lets himself get owned makes sense because, you know, Scarlet Witch is being threatened. But, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I uh, sometimes I don't know how to feel about Namor's portrayal in this. Like, uh, he, He's I, very much a bad guy for the first part, yes. Yeah, like you, you know me. Yeah, like I, I love Namor. He's one of my favorite Marvel characters ever, and that's probably one of the reasons I picked this up. Like you know, years and years and years years ago, was because I was a big fan of Namor, and I also like you know Wonder Man and Doctor Doom, but it was mostly Namor. And uh, I'd heard he has a big role in this story, so I picked it up. And I'm not averse to seeing Namor act as a bad guy. I know some people get their you know, they get up in arms about that. Like, it doesn't really bother me. Like, right now, well, as we're recording this in Marvel Comics, Namor has kind of, like, took a heel turn. And some people are not happy with that. Like, and I know you guys are, like, asking me about that on, you know, bot talking. I'm like, I, I don't have I don't have a problem with it. I mean, I think it's fine. You know, he's he has a long history of doing this. So, you know, just as long as he doesn't, like, you know, put his fist through Bucky's chest or something. Like, I'm fine with it. But, um... His his uh he, he's not he's not bloodthirsty in this he's 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 worried about his people, and when when it comes to like you know blows, 
he does choose the right the, the right stance. You know, he does fight over Doom's control. I mean, it was really smart on Doctor Doom's part to kind of lull Namor into thinking he was on his side because they've had this history of working together before. You know, going back to the early like single digit issues of like Fantastic Four, and then you know. Namor like flies into a rage. He's like, I was going to rule the oceans. And he's like, Oh, were you? Well, why don't you just like keep that little thing around your necklace? And he's like, You can see Namor getting into a rage. And he's like, I will keep this. And you know, like, that's when you're like, Oh, Dr. Doom totally played him for a fool. But then, like, like Tony said at the end, Namor is able to overcome it, much like Captain America. I mean, they both have extremely strong wills. So, of course, they would both be able to overcome it. So, like, I don't. Yeah, I guess ultimately, like, I don't have a problem with Namor getting, you know, the wool pulled over his eyes. I mean, if anyone's going to do it, like, it would it would have to be Doctor Doom. But like I said, another reason I like this is I always liked Wonder Man. I mean, I think he has some interesting costume choices from time to time, but uh, I've always liked <laughs> yes. the character. And to see him, like, kind of get the spotlight in this, because, like, I mean, you know, this like Derek said, this is, like, a Doctor Doom piece, but like hero wise, it's like a Wonder Man piece, and I was kind of like that. I mean, other than his like ongoing series in the '90s, Wonder Man is usually just you know a guy who shows up on the Avengers from time to time, and he, and he dies. He yeah. dies. Like that's what Wonder Man does. He does it frequently. <laughs> so anytime you're reading a Wonder Man comic, you're like, oh, I hope he doesn't die again. You actually get to see some Simon Williams in this instead of just Wonder Man. Yeah. Yeah, you get to see a side of him. Like this opens with him like doing his Hollywood stunt work, which I think some people, if they don't know much about the character, they were like, "Oh, he's a stunt man." Oh, I didn't know that. But yeah, you get to see that his relationship with the blind woman. I always thought that was really interesting. Yeah, but, I mean, like I said, I read the I I picked this up long, long time ago. Like this was like one of probably the first couple of trades I probably ever bought. You know, this is probably the only Marvel graphic novel Marvel graphic novel I own. I mean, yeah. You know, you know, I did not read this when it came out, but kind of like the way I described like the Triumph and Torment graphic novel, I, I feel like the advertising for this was mm. omnipresent. Like I, I knew of it before I ever read it. it. Was big, yeah. You know, like I, I had heard, you know, like I had heard tales of Emperor Doom before <laughs> I had actually read it, you know, so it's like that, that felt like it was, it, it, it had a... I don't know. It had a strong word of mouth. It felt like, and I, I think it kind of lives up to it. I mean, I, I think it's a pretty cool story if you don't mind seeing like the world get mind zonked. I mean, you, you know, the other thing I was going to ask though is that like, and this is something that occurred to me when I was reading it. It's like, okay, so they go after Vision because he's, uh, you know, a synthetic. You know, he's an android, right? Like, so I, I mean, I, I forgot to mention this. They they have these patches to put on. Uh inorganics to, and, to mind bump them. And, yeah. and and that's why they have the scene with Machine Man to to show that process and everything. And then Namor himself goes after Ultron. But I was kind of like, 
there's a lot more, like, I mean, I don't know that they, it's not like they had time to show every single robot, but I was, like, thinking to myself. What, what about Deathlock? What about? Yeah. Well, yeah, I was, thinking, about- I was thinking about, like, you know, Ultimo and Jocasta and fucking Herbie the Robot and Dragon Man. <laughs> like, I mean, don't, don't, like, can you imagine? It's like, Benjamin, snap out of it. This is total bullshit. You know, like, what are you yeah, doing? Yeah, you know, I'll like. Call out. What, what, what about fucking uh, 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 Death's Head? <laughs> I, I think you just wrote the sequel to this, Derek. It's like Kirby <laughs> saves the Marvel Universe. This is this is total bullshit, Benjamin. Snap the fuck out of it. It's like, but yeah, I was I, I was just kind of like, there's got to be like some other like you know synthetic life forms that kind of are like, hey, this this isn't quite right. Like this this feels a little off or whatever, like that kind of thing. The other thing I was gonna ask you, am I way off? Like like this is totally random, but I, I noticed it this time when I was reading it. So in the beginning, before everybody gets mind zonked and they're trying to like you know, super sell hard the West Coast Avengers because they're about to get their own book. It's like they're at the West Coast compound and and Simon walks past Tigra and she's like reading a book and she says she's in the middle of a new Jim Davis book and I was like is that like Garfield Jim Davis like I'm like I'm like is that like a meta troll like or something like that like Tigra's potentially reading a Garfield book because it doesn't look like a Garfield book I mean am I wrong like is, is there another Jim Davis that I don't know that's not the writer no, of no, Garfield? No, no, I'm on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I, th- I think it was a meta joke. I think it was a meta joke. Yeah, I really like Simon Williams. I really like Wonder Man. I really would like a movie with him. I like the Man of Wonders, the Ionic Eyes, his brick flight pack. I, I think he gets a short shrift in the Marvel Universe, and like him being a, a big character in this kind of made me happy. Well, I had read this before, but probably later than you guys. Like, I read it after that episode of Earth's Mightiest Heroes that kind of adapted this story came mm. out. Okay. And, like, okay. they kind of, yeah, they kind of substituted Iron Man for Doom in it and, like, uh, Vision for Wonder Man. But it was still basically the same premise where the Purple Man took over the Earth and there's, you know, the one sane man in an insane world or whatever. No, I liked it. I mean, I, I've always liked it. I've liked the West Coast Avengers. I like I like Wonder Man, too, you know, Justin. Like, I think, I, I don't, I don't, I think, again, I, I subscribe to, like, he has terrible costumes, but he's not necessarily, like, a bad character or whatever. So I, one thing, like, it always struck me about this story is, like, he agrees to, like, basically, like, take a month off basically like in like going that sensory deprivation yeah. like tank like i'm kind of yeah. like whoa man like i know you're like you know you think you're immortal or whatever but like that's a whole month like holy crap dude like like that always struck me as like wow you've got you know you're pretty you're a good friend if like all it is is you know tony stark like i want to do an experiment on you like take a month off like you know but uh, I'll, I'll record your TV shows while you're gone. <laughs> <laughs> don't yeah, like tape my shows. Yeah, <laughs> don't forget to tape the the preamble for the next generation. Otherwise, I'm going to be really upset with you. <laughs> you yeah, just but you're <laughs> feeding him slim gems through a tube. Yeah, but I, I I like I think that like Doom resisting the Purple Man scene is like a a you know classic like iconic oh, yeah. like example of like doom fan or yeah, and stuff yeah. and like you know i think i compared like i i was kind of disappointed in like transformers lost light where there was kind of a similar scene 
where Tarn was using his like spark snuffing voice power on Shockwave. Shockwave. It made all it made Shockwave all weak in the knees, and I was kind of like, no, that's not what it should be like. It should be like Doom. Like Shockwave should have been like, yeah, and like what? Like you stupid like asshole. Like your power doesn't work on me. (laughs) Unfortunately, it wasn't that, but. But yeah, like, I mean, I love that moment. I I, I, I see like I was kind of wondering what Justin thought of Namor's like portrayal in this story, because, yeah, like he, he he's kind of, you know, like an antihero, like bordering on a villain here. And he does kind of get like, you know, tricked by doom. But in the end, you know, he's like, you know, Imperius rocks and like fly like Leroy Jenkins through <laughs> like, you know, the purple man's machine or whatever. But... I'm like uh, Namor, the Submariner, the Leroy Jenkins of the Marvel Universe. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it, it was kind of like, you know, what, what's his like Tony Stark or whoever it is, is like we've got to shut off like the purple man, like psycho prism device or whatever we've got to like deactivate it very like carefully and namor's like all right let's do this like namor namor mckenzie here's rex blam it's all homeless namor (laughs) we just gotta push his button i'll break everything he he flies off and like all the avengers like kind of just stand there for a second and they're like did he did he just go in like like (laughs) he he just killed that guy Yeah, but no, I mean, I, I generally like this this story and like I, I like the portrayal of Doom in it like throughout. Like, I think it's funny how he kind of gets bored with like ruling the world. And it's like, you know, it's clear that he kind of let it like slip in, at the end because he just thought it was boring. And he was like, you win, Avengers. Like, good luck. Goodbye. Like, I'm going back to Latveria. Like, diplomatic immunity. Bye. Like, you know, and it's it's funny yeah, well, how the it's funny how like the world just completely collapses again after like they're out of the control of the purple man and stuff. So like, I think that's kind of, I guess, realist, sadly realistic, but. Well, yeah, yeah. It it is, is, is weird take on the, uh, I think the tale of the man who has everything, right. It's like doom got what he wanted, but he's bored with it. He's like, you know, like, Oh, is this what it means to be a ruler? Is this like my life? Because he's dealing with like you know. I think I think he would he would rather yeah, like tired of it. He would yeah. probably rather be sat more satisfied by everyone like coming to his like point of view on their own, basically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, there's no challenge. Yeah, because like he says, like when Simon Williams first pops up on the radar, you know, it's like, ooh, a new challenger, you know, like Street Fighter. You know, a new challenger has arrived. Well, if any, he's like, excited, it, he's like oh, and then he's gone. Street, he's like, street, street Fighter. It's more like Mortal Kombat because, like, Wonder Man is basically the Johnny Cage of the Marvel <laughs> Universe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. Yeah. He, he is in more ways than one. He's got the he's got the shades and the movie star looks and all that stuff. I always thought Doom must have been really bored because, like, he was micromanaging and like. The thing that always made me funny was like, there's that poster. It's like Doom says, "Don't deface public property." I'm like, what does Doctor Doom care about punks defacing buildings? I'm like, is he like that that bored? <laughs> he like, I'm just imagining Doom like in a White House and he's super bored and he's like, 
I have to stop these punks from spraying buildings. <laughs> Let it be done in the name of Doom. <laughs> they got like Doom doing like G.I. Joe public PSA, service yeah. announcement. It's like my my sister like stole my baseball bat. Like destroy her. Like, <laughs> and now you now you know now I know. <laughs> oh, I got hit by a soccer ball. My nose is bleeding. You're too weak to live. Crack her neck. <laughs> Well, I yeah. I, I yeah. do I do want to offer this one nugget without without any commentary or irony, but as far as like Reginald Hudlin writing Doctor Doom fighting Black Panther and them going into how Doom's a racist, well, in this he he ends apartheid. So just saying, just saying, just saying. Well, 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 well. Actually, this is this is one thing I I was going to point out that is actually really interesting. As far as supervillains, Doom is not a chaos magnet. He doesn't want to destroy the world in an fire. He actually wants order. He just wants it under his order. He wants things to work. He wants things to go as they should, but under his rule. He doesn't want to like watch the world burn. He just wants it under Doom. And uh, Doom and, says this. And, yeah, and, and like, when he's and when he's not stiff and Luke but... Cage is like Bill. Or <laughs> well, but 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 you you understand what I'm saying though? Like like Doom doesn't go in and like you know raise towns and kill people, and like you know like yeah he'll he'll throw the like you know Baxter building into the sun or whatever because he hates Reed, but he just he just wants to rule. He wants subjects. He wants a kingdom. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but well, I mean that's that's the that's the dilemma, right? Like, d- does does Simon undo all the good that has come of of Doom's empire, or you know, does he say, well, that's that 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 good was achieved through you know nefarious means, thus it, exactly, it, it yeah, negates yeah. the good, like that. That's 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 the thing that you know people are going to wrestle with well, to well, the end of time. That's where so. Doom goes, though. It's like Doom actually does acknowledge that he's like, I have created a false kingdom, basically. I always thought that was one of the most interesting things about Doom is that you know he's this great supervillain. Sometimes he's a wackadoo and he's messing with magic or you know whatever he's doing that month, but like everyone loves him in his country. Like he's seen as like this benevolent ruler. Whereas outside of his country, you know, you've got like Fantastic Four fighting him and, you know, Nick Fury like wants to like remove him as a leader. And you're you're just kind of like, well, what if he's not like a total like scumbag, like when he's in charge of his country? Yeah, 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 yeah. It it is a very interesting like, you know, juxtaposition is like, you know, it's like, is he a good leader? Just not a good world leader, just like you know, a small, small time leader who has great aspirations, or is he really got a good mindset for this? And he just like his intelligence is so high that his aspirations outweigh his ability, which I think even he really realizes is like he's like. This is boring. Yeah, but that's and, uh, not, that but, doesn't have anything to do with ability. Like that—that that has to do with 
with interest and desire. passion and and like yeah yeah desire. i mean, yeah, yeah, I mean no, no, I agree. you know like like yeah. the, I, I mean it's true that the the way this story is told it's tried to be painted as a moral quandary like like do, yeah, you, yeah, do not... you do you accept the iron rule of someone who makes the trains run on time but to to some people i mean you know the, the, they'll look That'd at the great. outcome of what doom did you know, and say, look, he he ended apartheid. He he got the United Nations to all cheer and agree with one another. He cut out all the red tape of bureaucracy. Like like, there's a lot of things that get done in this that are wish fulfillment in a political arena that is atypical for politics. You know, like where it's just like yeah. that, and and so because of that, like there there is a a level of attraction to watching him do this but at the same time you can also like see him dealing with the the mundanity of the day-to-day oh wait i ha- like i mean i i know justin was you know cracking jokes about the 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 taggers and all that other stuff but just think about it like he has to have a meeting and design that poster and do the just say no to tagging thing and it's like what for real like you'd think the purple man shit could just take care of that you know but it's like he's still working on yeah, I mean, those but, things you but, know? but like you know at, at the same time it's like are these people doing this because they have free will because free will is like something everyone enjoys which we do on the podcast we can voice our opinions are they doing is this person coming here saying like Emperor Doom, I'm doing this because you said so, because of mind control. But, and, yeah, well, that's yeah. the catch-22. It's like, do you appreciate that that all four of us can say whatever we want on this podcast, and we have, quote-unquote, free will, right? Or do, you, do, do we all get on the podcast and say we love Lord Doom for the next five hours, but then, I don't know, like, AIDS is cured or... You know, like you know, what whatever it is, like some some great is, magnanimous yeah, thing happens, right? Like because of that, and it's like, is that the trade off? Like, are you willing to make that trade off, or or are you like, you know, I want my pain, I need my pain, you know, like like you can't have yeah. my pain, you know, like so, you know, it's it's an interesting, you know, it's an interesting moral quandary. I mean, you know, they, you know, and this is this is again, it's it's a graphic novel. It's a little more mature than than the comics that were coming out at the time, but it's not it's not so mature that it. No, you no, know, no. It, yeah. it, it gets too heavy or anything. I mean, it's still an entertaining, enjoyable story. I think the art's really good. I, I, I do think I do think it paints Doom in a, a really interesting light. Like yeah. he is a supervillain, but he is also a human. Yeah, like you you can understand his frustration because he he won, but did he win? You know, you know what I'm saying. Justice League International Blah Ha Ha Podcast, a new monthly show chronicling the adventures of the JLI era by Keith Giffen and J.M.D. Mateus, will be going issue by issue in release order, tackling the core Justice League title, Justice League Europe, and the quarterly book. Along the way, we'll take time out for special episodes covering various spin-offs, cartoon appearances, the infamous TV pilot, and much more. So join me in an ever-changing roster of guest hosts as we celebrate your favorite JLI members, such as... Martian Manhunter, Batman, Doctor Fate, Black Canary, Fire, Ice, Maxwell Lord, Oberon, Captain Marvel, 
Rocket Red. Captain Adam. Mr. Miracle. Guy Gardner. Booster Gold. Blue Beetle. Nort. And many, many more. Justice League International. Blah ha ha podcast. Part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Want to make something of it? What's up? What are next? Oh, what are next? Uh, well, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I am next. We've not so, too much, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I am next. The the next comic up is Avengers Annual 17. This came out with a cover date of 1988. The official on-sale date was July 12th, 1988. Its cover price was a whopping $1.75. Since it was an annual, it was 64 pages. It was edited by Mark Grunewald and... The writing was done by Walter Simonson. The pencils were by Mark Bright. Mike and Valerie Gustavich were responsible for inking. Oakley Heisler Parker was responsible for lettering. Evelyn Stein was the colorist. And Tom DeFalco was the editor-in-chief at the time. And the Avengers story that we're actually going to go into is going to be called Prometheus. Mutants, and it is as follows. The concluding chapter in the Evolutionary War features a ragtag group of reserve Avengers who have come together after the High Evolutionary reconstructs and revives the robotic member called Jocasta. Reconstructed by parties unknown, Jocasta frees herself and places an emergency call to the Avengers before being subdued by her captors. Since the Avengers are currently disbanded, see Avengers 297 and Comics, motherfucker, do you read them? Episode number 16, their computer summons reserve members. This results in a unique gathering of Avengers that summons the then-former Captain America, Steve Rogers, in his then-current identity as the Captain. His former partner and friend, the Falcon, Greek demigod Hercules, then member of X-Factor, The Beast, a former Avenger and X-Man as well. Rita Damara, a former Masters of Evil, the female Yellow Jacket, and my personal favorite version of The Incredible Hulk, The Grey Hulk. Although Yellow Jacket was a former Master of Evil, she was forced to report by an alarm in her stolen helmet. In the attempt to put an end to the High Evolutionary's plot to detonate a genetic bomb that would mutate all life on Earth, led by the Captain, this team of Avengers would journey by the Avengers' best-known method of travel, the Tony Stark-designed Quinjet, tracing Jocasta's call to a Long Island laboratory complex, the makeshift band discovers the followers of the High Evolutionary. Their search takes them to Lemuria, which is under attack by Atlantean forces led by Atuma. The Avengers stop the battle and manage to deduce that the two sides were brought together by a ruse in hopes of sterilizing both races. Enraged, the Atlanteans and Lemurians join forces to seek out their common foe, the High Evolutionary. The heroes locate a gigantic mobile base en route to the volcano Krakatoa, whose explosion will fire the genetic bomb's contents high into the atmosphere. Invading the craft, the Avengers, specifically the Beast, incite revolution by revealing to the High Evolutionary's human agents that their leaders are actually evolved animal priests called Newmen. 
The distracting chaos gives the Avengers the opening they need to stage a final battle with the godlike abilities of the High Evolutionary himself. The High Evolutionary easily dismantles Jocasta and teleports the Hulk back to the New Mexico desert. While the others occupy their foe's attention, the Beast uses the genetic accelerator on Hercules, transforming him into the High Evolutionary's equal. The evolved Hercules defeats the High Evolutionary, but the Prince of Power is also seemingly destroyed by the excess of power from his abrupt evolution post-battle. A still-functional Jocasta sacrifices herself, setting off the base's matter-antimatter drive in order to destroy the Evolutionary's bomb. This gives the remaining Avenger reservists, the Captain, Beast, Falcon, and Yellow Jacket, enough time to escape and enjoy the Quinjet ride home. And that is the end of Avengers Annual 17. Yeah, I, I, I guess this is... This was something I put on my, like, top ten list of Avengers comics, like, of my favorite Avengers stories. I guess it's kind of a weird configuration of Avengers, but outside of maybe the classic configuration of Avengers, it's probably, like, one of my favorites. It's kind of why I think I get a kick out of that the Hulk is in the Avengers movies and that he's a prominent Avengers member in, like, the Earth's Mightiest Hero cartoon, because I I guess for some reason I always wanted that, because I saw him get slighted in those early issues of Avengers, and I, I always liked when there were opportunities in my comics reading for the Hulk to, to be an actual Avenger. Yeah, he, he, he's usually a loner or outcast. He yeah. just shows up. Yeah, yeah. Kind of like Invasion introduced me to the DC universe at large. I would say, like, the Evolutionary War is one of those early summer event crossovers that ran through all the annuals. And and that summer of, of 88 was something that, you know, basically introduced me to the Marvel universe at large, you know, with, like, Punisher and Silver Surfer and West Coast well, Avengers. Yeah, 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 Punisher fighting high evolutionaries. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there, there were all kinds of things that, that went through that crossover event. And and pretty much outside of that, the, the other, you know, Avengers issue, the 297, the outside of that other... Avengers issue, the 297 that I brought to the the show before, this is probably one of the earliest Avengers stories that I read. I guess, you know, it makes me sad that there's still no Atuma Marvel Legend every time I read a comic book with Atuma, and I I, I dug his appearance in this, and I I really do like M.D. Bright's pencils, like, they're, they're really cool, I mean, I... I liked him on Green Lantern or G.I. Joe or even Icon. So like this is to me, this is a good, a good job here. And then I, I, I think it's got a lot of good art, a lot of fun, you know, stories and everything. And, you know, I, I guess just a, a lot of my favorite Avengers, it's like Steve Rogers, even though he's the captain, it's still Steve Rogers. I like the Beast being an Avenger, even though he's traditionally an X-Man, you know, it's like, you know. Right, writing on the Hulk. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, it's like Cap's the leader, Beast is the big brain, Hulk's like the loose cannon. So, you know, for me, it's like, it's it's a lot of cool, cool stuff. So. One, one of the things that's like really, I think, forgotten, you know, in Marvel lore is the High Evolutionary is a pretty big bad guy. We have like Galactus, we have Thanos and stuff like that. Figures aside, yeah, with like a High Evolutionary like action figure. But man, that guy was such a dick. He's like such a 
you know, prominent part of the Marvel Universe. He did Mundagore Mountain with, like, you know, Magnus, you know, Magneto and, like, Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. And, like, he has, like, the Wondergore Knights and all this stuff. The High Evolutionary is a very integral part of the Marvel Universe. And I think they kind of overlook him a lot. And I, I, I agree with you, Derek, that, like, the Evolutionary War was a pretty awesome, like, you know, crossover event. It, it think, brought him to prominence. I don't think I'd ever read this before. And, like, I always, you know, kind of joke to Derek that, like, like I know he loves the High Evolutionary, but I always kind of joke that, like, I've never read a good story with the High Evolutionary in it. And, like, I think this kind of breaks that tie, though, because he was, he was very impressive in this. And, like, I, I don't know, like, whenever he shows up, like, he's one of those villains, I go, oh, one of, like, it's like a High Evolutionary story. Like, oh, <laughs> like, but, like, no, I actually, yeah. Yeah, like I'm, and like I don't know, like I he's never been very impressive to me, and like that feeling was just like recently solidified again to me in like the most recent issue of Amazing Spider-Man, where like Craven the Hunter makes him like pee his pants or whatever. But like this, this, this reinforced that yes, he is a very impressive villain who can you know pose a threat to an entire team of Avengers, and you know I I, I enjoyed this. It was a annual like worthy story, like you know, and I I liked the whole you know alliance with Atuma and uh, who who was the other guy? I forgot his name. Um, I, I just he, wrote down he it was Lemurian, like Lemurian like guy but yeah the, a... the deviants or whatever yeah like those guys like, a, well, like no, a... the lemurians were, were not the deviants the lemurians were an offshoot of the deviant species i think right okay yeah well whatever like that that stuff was all kind of cool and like yeah and i liked the makeup of the team yeah and like there was no like you know dr druid or anything or you know and <laughs> no, dr. Like, druid is always good <laughs> yeah exactly like i even like you know the female yellow jacket like i'm she's like someone i feel like didn't get a whole lot of play before they like disposed of her basically so like it was nice to see her in this like she's a it seems like every time she shows up, she's like in over her head, like she has like no real place, like, you know, being in that situation. But, you know, they, they always call her out as a bad guy. They're like, You're a bad guy. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, but like, I, I'm glad I read the like, I'm glad you picked this, Derek, because like I said, like, I I do not have a high opinion of the high evolutionary, ironically. And, you know, this kind of, you know, showed me that like he is, you know, he is supposed to be impressive and cool. So, yay. Woo. Well, what about you, Justin? Did you enjoy the uh, the, the finale? Because it does have Herc. Herc is badass. That's one of the reasons I, I like this. I haven't read this in a long, long time, so it kind of took me a minute to kind of, you know, I'm like, wait, what happens in the Evolutionary War? Oh, yeah, okay. It kind of took me a minute. Kind of like Derek, I always thought this was a really interesting combination of characters. Like, I kind of wanted to see, like, a reunion of these guys, like, in another annual or something, and I don't think that ever happened. If it did, I'm not aware of it. And also, like, Derek, I, I like that the Grey Hulk is part of this, and, you know, I, I'm a big fan of the Hulk, and I, I remember being young and wanting the Hulk to be in the Avengers more, and I, I remember, like, reading interviews, and people are like, oh, the Hulk's too powerful to be on the Avengers, you know? It's like, oh, you got you got Thor and Hercules, so you don't really need the Hulk, and the Hulk's a loose cannon, and he's unpredictable. And I was like, well, that's what would make it interesting. Like, he would be like the Wolverine of the team. Like, you don't know what he's going to do. I also really like Hercules, and I like his showing in this annual. I thought it had, he had a lot of really good moments. And again, like Derek, 
I like Beast as an Avenger. I, I honestly prefer him as an Avenger. Like, I, uh, I, felt, I, I second that. I, I like Beast as an Avenger. Yeah, I do. Uh, I I know you guys are gonna poo poo Beast because you think he's a stinky duty head, like the past well, fifteen he, years or whatever. He, he but, wasn't. He wasn't a stinky duty head in this issue. Like, he, yeah, he's, yeah, cool. he's I, good here. Yeah, I I kind of think the character would be better served these days if you know the X people just let him go back to the Avengers and. You can forget about all the stinky duty head things they think he did the past few years. But yeah, like well, well, I, well, I, I like is is it's weird, Justin. I, I just want to bring this up real real quick. It seems like an X Men. He is a duty head and like an asshole, and like you know, like like Derek said, like no beast, no. But in the Avengers, Hank McCoy seems like just a smart, sassy guy who works with the team. Whoever's, I mean, it might be the writers, but he just seems like a good fit, you know? Yeah, especially if Wonder Man is hanging around. Like, I always really enjoyed their friendship. They seem to be, like, you know, the best of friends. And then even if Wonder Man is not around, like, Beast on the Avengers is usually a pretty affable guy. Like, he's making jokes. I mean, even when he's, like, messing with Yellow Jacket's helmet, he's like, the alarm, she is silenced. I mean, like, I don't think you'd get that with, like, him... In, if this was like an X Men annual, I don't think you'd get a, a whole lot of him, you know, yeah, yeah. Jo- making like, jokes. Your, bitch is, your helmet is alerting everyone. You're a bitch. <laughs> but yeah, this is an enjoyable story. I, you know, I share many of Derek's points. I like the art. I really like the team lineup. I kind of sad we never saw a, a reunion. Uh, yeah, I liked it. I, I think one thing that is really a thing for Derek. I'm not saying this in a bad way. Is you do pick comics that are very dense and there's a lot of word balloons in here but this annual again just like the comic you picked beforehand it doesn't flow badly with the doom patrol for the future from the future your future ends now i'm back in the future again in my future in my future for the future my future in my future our future the future of the world it just goes like you could read it and you're not you don't feel encumbered by reading all these words because that that that's the hallmark of a good storytelling device is like you're reading a lot of words but you're not like oh my god brian michael bendis oh ah." (laughs) quit throwing these words at me the words i I don't know you you could you could make a entire brand of Michael Bendis issue with one of the pages in this entire annual. So I, I don't know about, I don't know if, I, if, if Bendis is getting paid by the word, he's not getting paid a lot. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. But every, everything here like makes sense. It like flows. Yeah. It's, it's like, like, it, it, you know, you, you read a lot of shit, but you're okay with it. You're like, Oh, I got stuff I, I need to learn. You know, it's like, that's cool. I, I, I get this, you know? It's funny, we don't always go into painstaking detail on, like, the covers of the the titles or the comics that we bring or whatever, but I, I, I kind of feel like I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of, like, you know, Back to the Bins guys where they, like, grade the covers and look at the covers and stuff like that, and, like, this cover is, to me at least, if I was on Back to the Bins, I'd be saying A+, because it's an iconic cover to me, like... Like this, the the image of the high evolutionary, he's got like the world and then all the team members are like shackled to the world. And the world is a freaking bomb. I mean, like that's, 
like that's great imagery, but I also feel like it's iconic too because they, I guess they just try. You know how they have all those like variant covers or whatever. Like I think they just recently like like did an alternate variant, you know, whatever it was cover to one of the Avengers books, and it mimicked this cover where like instead of it being like Jocasta, it was like you know the Jane Foster Thor and you know a bunch of different oh, characters. It, it, it was so good they had to like. Remake it. Yeah, yeah they, they yeah. sort of homaged it or whatever, and so like that. I, I mean, if anything's the sign of of an iconic cover, it's that somebody's reproducing it, right? So like that. That's another thing I think this annual has going for it, at least in 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 my estimation. You know, your your mileage on what is an what is or is not an iconic cover may vary, but I I think this certainly qualifies for me. Um, uh, one one thing I, I did want to add as as well is. This was a time when crossovers didn't seem to mean anything. And like we were in crossover fury. It was like, let's do crossovers. Let's do like all this stuff. The Evolutionary War actually seemed to mean something, which is very rare because I think, like, you know, at this time, we may have gotten into like the executioner's storyline or whatever and, and X Men. And I, I hated that that story arc, and we we did some other story arcs like you know this and this and this and the other comics. But I, I thought the Evolutionary War, especially with the annual crossovers, was like a motherfucking big deal, which I think really helps this ending chapter make a big impact. You know, it was like especially with Hercules, you know at this point, maybe dying. Spoilers. Yeah, I, I think it was a, a big ending and, like, a, a good, like, you know, like, oh, we're building up to a point. So, you know, I, I think this was, like, a really good chapter for an annual. Because usually annuals don't mean shit, but this annual meant something, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, I I, I feel like sometimes annuals get a bad rap, because sometimes I, I've heard the same thing, where, like, you know, I, I think, unfortunately, because of the way this crossover was marketed like i i think it, by the time it got to the point where they they had like four different editorial head honchos and instead of doing a line-wide event in the summer they would do like four annuals and then that would be one little yeah. storyline like i think by then that's when annuals started getting the rep that they didn't mean shit because people would spend a lot of money on them and then it'd be you it know, was a side for yeah. yeah yeah it'd be it'd be like you know I'm trying to remember, but there there was this one. the The one I can think of is the one that like ran through like the Punisher and the Guardians of the Galaxy and all this stupid shit, where it was like Life Force, and it's just like this is terrible, you know, <laughs> this is not cool, you know. So like, but yeah, like, yeah. At some point, it feels like annuals became an excuse to do like disposable stories instead of like an epic like double yeah. length story. Yeah. yeah. Hey everybody, I'm Paul Spataro. I don't know if you know me, but I'm a regular on Back to the Bins, along with my friends, Dr. Bill Robinson. Hello. And Mr. Scott Gardner. Hey, how's it going? Andy's been asking us for a promo for the show for the longest time, and Bill has been writing it for the longest time. Bill, you got that promo written yet? Uh... Okay, so, anyway, what we do is we review three comic books... We try to do it every week. Usually it's a Marvel, a DC, 
and a Captain Canuck book for Scott. So, tune in every week to Back to the Bins to listen to our show. You can find us at twotruefreaks.com. All right. Well, I, I think unless anybody has any other comments on Avengers Annual 17, we'll go on to the the next um, comic brought for this evening. And uh, that would be uh, that would be young Michael. Young Michael, what have you? What what have you? What have, what was the year of that annual? Uh, 1988. So we're going all the way from 1988 to 2008. So like yeah. 20, <laughs> 20 years. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I picked Young Avengers Presents number six, and you know, trying to keep with the Avengers Endgame theme. Like I picked it because it's an appearance by Ronan, like Clint Barton as Ronan, and he's going to be taking on that identity in Avengers Endgame. And now, like with the release of the Spoiler. latest. Rate, yeah, spoilers, I guess. I don't know. With the release of the latest trailer, there's it shows Clint like mentoring like a young girl in archery. And I mean it could be people think it might be his daughter. I was wondering if it might be Kate Bishop and like she she is the focus of this issue, so maybe it we'll see what when the movie comes out, but maybe that'll be appropriate too. So yes, this is Young Avengers Presents number six. Young Avengers Presents was a six-issue miniseries. Basically, written each issue was written by a different person and drawn by a different person. And, you know, like, the Young Avengers series had kind of, like, petered out at this point, and they were just kind of doing, like, miniseries or, you know, like, assorted, like, events and miniseries every few months or whatever with them. This has a cover date of August 1st, 2008. It's written by Matt Fraction, penciled by Alan Davis, colors by Paul Mounts, inks by mark farmer and letters by Corey petit and i've written a summary for it because the only other summary i found online was grammatically strangled and awful yeah so yeah here we go a non-date between young avengers eli bradley aka patriot and kate bishop aka hawkeye is interrupted by ronan of the new avengers who ambushes them and knocks eli out Ronan engages in a brief scuffle with Kate before telling her to meet him at another location the next day and to bring her bow. After Ronan departs, Eli is frustrated at Kate's unwillingness to be any more than friends and leaves in a huff. The next day, Kate follows Ronan's instructions, which leads her to the temporary apartment headquarters of the new Avengers. Inside, she discovers that Ronan is in fact Clint Barton, the original Hawkeye, who she thought was deceased. Clint wants to size up the girl that Captain America gave his former codename and bow to, and the two begin comparing archery skills. Clint makes Kate a bet. If he can make the seemingly impossible Robin Hood shot with a crummy store-bought bow he purchased, she will return the Hawkeye name and his customized bow back to him. Kate is doubtful of Clint's ability, but he quickly proves her wrong and makes the shot, telling her to leave his bow behind on her way out. Kate's teammate Wiccan, who had followed her into the Avengers HQ while magically cloaked, appears to take her home in defeat. Back at the Young Avengers clubhouse, the word spreads fast about Kate's loss and Eli is quick to chew her out over it. Angry and wanting to hurt Eli's feelings, Kate accepts an invitation from her teammate Tommy Shepard, aka Speed, to go to a bar and blow off some steam. Tommy and Kate go to the, a bar where Kate explains the situation with their lost bow and codename. Tommy suggests they just go and steal it back, and against her better judgment, she decides to go along with the scheme. Tommy speeds her up to New, New Avengers HQ, where they locate her bow. Kate is temporarily given pause by a framed photo of Cap's kooky quartet from years past. 
in which Clint isn't much older than she is now. Before the two can escape, they hear Clint and Luke Cage returning from a night of heroics and quickly hide. Kate listens in as Clint explains to Luke how he's got a lot of confidence in the younger generation of heroes and wants to do for them what Captain America did for him. Obviously aware of Kate's presence, Clint says the world needs kids like them in it and they have what it takes to be Avengers. Later that evening, Kate is practicing with her reacquired bow when Ronan shows up to startle her. Clint compliments her cute stunt in retrieving the bow and tells her that she's earned the right to keep it. He also pre presents her with the framed photo she saw in the Avengers HQ as a symbol of his faith in the young Avengers, a gesture that touches Kate deeply. Clint reassures her to keep doing what she's doing and that the adults will have their backs as they continue to learn the game of being heroes. And with that, Ronan vanishes back into the night. Kate goes off to find Eli, who is playing a video game. She gives him a surprise kiss and tells him to give her some time to figure things out. Eli accepts this and the two make peace. The end. So yeah, this is, I guess this is kind of a prequel to Matt Fraction's like Hawkeye series, like sort of like, it, you know, it's a, it's obviously a few years before it came out a few years before that series was launched. But yeah, you know, this is technically Clint Barton and Kate Bishop's like, it's not their first meeting, but it's like the first meeting where they know, like she knows that it's Clint Barton. Because I think they, they first met in that Jeff Loeb written Fallen Sun miniseries oh, that was like right yeah. after Captain America died. Mm -hmm. And like like Clint was like given the opportunity to try out being Captain America by Tony. And like he confronts like Kate and Patriot and they're like, well, you know, you're an imposter cap. And like Clint kind of like, you know, lets the kids go and pisses Tony off or whatever. But like this is the first time she knows he's like alive again. So like it like I kind I like this issue like I, I I think I don't know this when once you get to Fraction's Hawkeye series like even though like you know Kate obviously respects and like looks up to Clint like there's a sort of like you know Clint's characterization in that series is kind of like Fraction plays up like kind of like his I don't know less desirable traits i guess he's gruff yeah yeah and like in, th in this issue it feels like you know clint's like the man basically like since i guess since like he's with the new avengers and like they're on the lamb from like norman osborne or whatever like you know he clint probably like is at his best when he's like you know on the edge and living on the edge and he he's you know there's always a sense of tension in the air so like i don't i don't know there's a there's a there's a i i feel like there's a sense a greater sense of like respect from kate like towards him in this issue that there perhaps is less of in the fraction hawkeye series mm. but yeah but you know i generally like this issue and like i, I like i i open the floor up to you guys like i don't know if you guys had read this before or what but no i i never read this i didn't even know this young avengers presents series existed so i was like when you suggested this, I was like, wait, Young Avengers Presents? Like, I've never even heard of this. Yeah, this was a good read. I think you're the big Hawkeye fan, Mike. I also really like Hawkeye, and I kind of feel like this is the era where, like, Clint Martin was mangled to death, mostly by, like, Bendis' <laughs> awful writing. And yeah. he turned him into, like, a crazed, like, lunatic who wanted to murder people and stuff i'm just like that's not that's not who he is man like even if he is brought back from the dead anyway i could rant about that forever but yeah this was like i i, I wish i had read this back when it came out because this is like 
a breath of fresh air from that period where I was like not reading a lot of Marvel comics. Like this was really well written. I like the art in it. Of course, it's Alex Alan Davis. It, it was just a good solid like one issue story. And yeah, like you're saying, there's a lot more respect she's Kate is showing towards Clint. It kind of I don't know how to describe it. Like in this, it's like she's meeting like her personal like hero, you know, someone she looks up to and aspires to emulate. And then a few years later, it's I guess it's like maybe some of that luster is worn off and she can like make jokes at his expense and, you know, call him a slob or whatever and all that stuff. Like, I don't know. I don't know if that's a better take. He didn't have like, you know three girlfriends at the time or whatever either you know what i mean so like there's yeah. there's probably certain aspects to it that that make sense and others that you you kind of wonder like how how would one lose their sense of hero worship so quickly or whatever or mm-hmm. you know maybe relatively like for us it's like quick in marvel time but you know what the the aja fraction thing was what in 20 14 i think or whatever so what like seven six years after this or something like yeah 2012 or 2013 maybe i'm pretty sure i have read this entire miniseries before and and i i totally need to congratulate you because you you managed to find like the one issue in the post 2000 comic book era that was like a good done in one or whatever because it's like it's like dude i'm like like i feel like throwing you a party and and offering you my my heartfelt congratulations where it's like you've done it you've done a man's job sir you know i almost like i think i was joking to you guys because like when we decided what to do for this like episode i was kind of like oh i'm gonna do like a clint barton is ronin like issue and then i was like oh man am i gonna have to subject you guys to like a bendis issue of that or something but i was like no wait there's gotta be there's gotta be a good story where clint barton is ronin and it's like a good story and like i found it i feel i feel like like mike's at the the top of the roof at the end of blade runner and i'm just like you've done a man's job sir (laughs) (laughs) no this is this is this is an awesome issue i mean even though alan davis hates me because of the guy i waited in line in front of or whatever like the art is outstanding i I, I, I'm trying to remember, like, I, I don't know, Mike's probably the only person who can back me up on this, but, like, I feel like this miniseries came out because they couldn't finish the regular one, like, because wasn't, it was written by the guy yeah, who was there, doing there the... Yeah, there were some delays, yeah. Yeah, because like, he was, he was working on the OC and all that other stuff, so it was like, it was kind of like a Kevin Smith type presentation where everybody was super excited to read Young Avengers, but, like it kind of got delayed and it was halted, but then they didn't want to like lose the heat that they had. So then this came out, you know? So it was kind of like, you're kind of like, Oh, well, you know, it's kind of like, and instead of watching, you know, beast wars, you can watch, you know, beast wars second, you know, like that, that was kind of what this, <laughs> this mini series was. Um, I, I will say like, uh, in my mind is like, we're, we're 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 talking like about Avengers right now, but like this whole idea is for the Avengers in game, and the whole premise is we're probably gonna lose Cap, we're probably gonna lose Thor, we're probably gonna lose you know um, you know a lot of characters because their contracts are up, um, you know um, Cap, Iron Man, and Thor is what I was going with, but here's the thing. You give me a character I care about, 
write them well, make them care about me, like Kate Bishop, I'm totally in. I don't care about the gender. I don't care about their race. I don't care about politics. You give me a good character. And Kate Bishop is a really good, like, not replacement Hawkeye, but a character I can get into. Someone I would want to read about. Someone I would like to see her journey to be a hero. And, you know, I mean, like, Sam Wilson, Bucky, you know, like, those, like, are, are, like, it's a black dude, it's a white guy. Who cares about that idea of politics? Give me a character I can care about. That's all I want. That's all I want at the end of the day. And I, I'm totally happy with Sam Wilson being a Captain America. I'm totally happy with Bucky being a Captain America. In, in this aspect, what you brought, Mike, is like someone who could be a new Hawkeye. She could be the new Hawkeye. I don't care if she's a woman. Don't give a shit about her gender. I like her as a character. She has grit. She has steel. She's a good character. This is a good story. This is what you should tell. This is how you should approach people. Give us things we can care about. Is that too deep? Or, I mean, am I making sense? I mean, you know, Kate, this is a good, like, this is, like I said, this is the first meeting they have. So, I mean, it's a good foundation for, like, what comes after. And, like, like I said, if indeed Kate is like introduced into like the live action, you know, the movies and whatever, then like, I think I'll be happy. But I mean, like, I, I don't, I, I don't know if I can speak to her like current day, like portrayals or like, you know, her books she's had like since then, like, I don't think they've been very well, no, successful, no, yeah. but like, you know, they, you know, I think she's a successful character. I'm but not yeah, sure. Like, yeah, the idea less... is just, yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm less interested in reading just about her than I am reading about her and like Hawk, like Clint Barton basically in the same book. So, but yeah, but, I but mean, you would, like, you would like her to be in a good story that doesn't focus on that. Yeah, I mean, it would be nice, I guess. But th- this is you know this is a good spotlight for her at least. I mean, and no, no, I, no. I mean, like, I'm I'm trying to like mire this down in like the political bullshit that we have to deal with now. This is a really good story. It's heartfelt. We see like how these characters interact, and like it's fun because we see a character who is so strong as Hawkeye dealing with a character who has flaws, and like every character should have flaws. That's the biggest thing. That's the biggest problem we have in like comic book storytelling now. Nobody can have flaws. And like, I like the idea that Kate Bishop has flaws in this story. That's really cool. She, she's a thief, in this, you know? And well, that, like, I, I think I liked that because I think that's a, like, I think that that is something that impresses Clint that she like steals the bow back because he's like, well, that's like classic me. So like, that's pretty awesome. Like, so you can yeah. keep the bow. Like, that's a stunt I would pull. But, I did, there's a there's a lot of like you said you know Derek you said like you know it's Alan Davis's art so it's like you know it's awesome art and like I I like how he puts Kate 
in Hawkeye's old like costume, like the the pink like skirt costume or whatever. And let me say, it looks a lot better on her than it did on Hawkeye. So, like, <laughs> you know, but she got that swag. Yeah, like I, I liked that, and I mean, like as for the rest of it, like. Like, uh, as for the Young Avengers, like, I, I think they're mostly okay. Like, I always gravitate towards, you know, like, Cassie Lang and Kate Bishop because, you know, I like Ant-Man yeah, and Hawkeye. I like but Cassie, yeah. I've never really cared for, like, Eli Bradley. Like, you know. He, I, I never cared he, for Wiccan. Yeah. Yeah, like, no, Patriot. Like, like, I don't know. Like, you know, he's the kind of stereotypical, like, angry black kid or whatever. You know, and I mean, that's, I'm saying that it's it's a stereotype, basically. And they, they don't often like portray him as uh, i, I want to say like sympathetic but like i mean I, i've not been very open yeah, yeah i've been where he's been like in this issue like where you're like you you, you kind of put yourself out there and the girl's kind of like well i don't you know i'm not sure about myself and you're like oh man whatever like i put myself out there and like i, I like at the beginning when he's like you know who says like two buddies can't be in a horse-drawn carriage like that's how me and my friends like roll all the time like <laughs> i think that was but, 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 but like i think everybody knows a character like speed who is like Hey, I'm your friend. Uh, do this really crappy thing, you know? Yeah, and you know, speeds like you know, obviously, like speeds a lot more. Uh, like you wish it's it's like I I feel like I can relate to Eli in this issue, but it's like you also wish you were like speed kind of like you had that confidence like back then, like when you were a kid, basically. But yeah, but you also don't have like superpowers or whatever. So, but uh, yeah. I think this issue is a good, like, general, like, uh, portrayal of why I, like, you know, Clint Barton is one of my favorite, like, comic book characters, like, because he's, he's just, yeah, you know, well, he's a, you know, he, he bends the, you know, it, like I said, it feels like he has more, like, I don't know, swagger at this point, like, and, and like, Matt Fraction actually, like, you know, sells it unlike Bendis, where Bendis is just like must kill Norman Osborn and blah blah blah. Like, like yeah, this is yeah, like they're they're cool. on. This is an era like it's Dark Reign. They're like outlaws and stuff. And like Clint Barton does his best work when he's like on the edge, like when he was leading the Thunderbolts. You know, like when he's you know there's like tension in the air when he's like high stakes. You know, and he can look cool. You know, and he just, you know, he just comes off as super cool in this issue. And that's why, you know, I like it. And, you know, even even if he's not like Hawkeye, if he's Ronin, like I, I kind of found it funny that he's like, you know, doing all these ninja things. And I'm kind of like, well, when did you learn how to be a ninja? Like, I know you like I know you know how to fight and shit, but like you're an acrobat like and he's doing all the these like Batman vanish moves on Kate and whatever. Yeah. And you know, like I've been kind of like, OK, well, I guess, you know, I'm a mentor. Yeah, yeah. But but I, it was funny. But uh, but see, it's not like even though that's a little odd to me, I I instantly accept it because I'm like, well, yeah, like Clint's a badass, so of course he can do all that stuff. So I kind of like the the moment where he just the what made me take pause and think about it in the issue is where he just tells Kate like, take every shot that's worth taking. You know, like you you know you take the shot right and it's like don't think I, about it, yeah. I mean you know and that that's kind of that's kind of what you're going into with the difference between maybe Eli and Speed you know like i mean Speed definitely like lives in the moment right and and you know i guess Eli is a little more you know 
I don't know, conflicted. And, you know, it's kind of what Justin was making fun of earlier before we started the call. You know, this is all, you know, Kate's boy trouble and stuff like that. But I mean, it did, you know, depending on at what point you're reading this, you know, which when when I read it a few weeks ago, you know, when we were getting ready for this, you know, it's like that that moment made me just take, you know, take a certain level of pause or whatever. And, and you know, and, and that speaks to Clint's role as being a, a mentor, being a, a uh, you know, a proselytizer of wisdom in this case to Kate, you know? So it's like he's, you know, he, he's fulfilling his, his role in the, in the story. But like Mike's saying, he's also, you know, coming off like a, a smooth, cool operator in, in that context, you know? Like, I mean, he, he, sh- he shows Kate up, but he also sort of teaches her some lessons. And then when all said and done, you know, it's like no harm, no foul. Like, I have faith in you guys to, to pick up my mantle you know do do good with the bow because i'm trusting you with it and here's you know here's a photo of the kooky quartet like because that means i really really think you're the real deal and it's it's like he's he's basically co-signing kate right and and so now that kate is co-signed i mean that's that that's for people like mike who are longtime fans of hawkeye and it's like oh well now, now the new Hawkeye is co-signed, you know, by the original. So you feel you feel good about it, you know. It's like you know, and 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 Hawkeye didn't have to die in a giant jungle gym fight and fall over and go. It was fun <laughs> for it to fucking be co-signed, you know. So it's 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 all around. It's a good thing, you know. Derek, what are next? Uh, there there is nothing next. Next is is the show <laughs> ends. Like the the next is well, I guess I guess if you want to check out the backlog of our episodes, you can find them on fanholspodcast.blogspot.com. We have in addition to comics, motherfucker, do you read them? We've got all kinds of shows. We've got the fanholes podcast proper. We've got. Justice Not Entirely Dissimilar to Lightning, a Thunderbolts podcast. We've got Big in Japan, where we talk about anime. We've got Mobile Suit Mondays, Toku Thursdays, Transformers Tuesdays, Sentai Saturdays. And we can be found on all kinds of social media, Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We appreciate all the likes and feedback and tweets and hearts and etc. that we receive. If you have any angry emails, you can send them to fanholspodcast at gmail.com. And you can check all this stuff out on the fanholspodcast.blogspot.com. And until the next time, when we get into the uh, religious implications of being a superhero, this is going to be Derek, Derek WC, signing off. Hey, it's Mike. And some people try to move on from this podcast, but not us. Not <laughs> us. This is Justin, signing off. This is Tony. I am Adam Warlock. Where the fuck is Adam Warlock?
No, I, I'm gonna, yeah, like, um, I'm gonna. Uh, can you guys hear all the nonsense in my background? Because I'm gonna like power mm, through hear, this. I can't hear uh, anything. Honestly, no. Yeah, yeah I, okay. I, I haven't heard much good. of anything. If you good. like, I can add some Avengers. If I if I move this mic closer to my door, maybe you'd hear it. But like, yeah, there's like drunk people yelling and dogs barking and whatever. But no, it it shouldn't be too bad. But gotta wait for Guardians Three. James Gunn is back on. The, the mouse said he's clean, so he's back on. And they scrubbed his I, pedophile. You know, I, I kept thinking about you, actually, Mike, when I saw that news, when, when Bishop came back to the X-Men. I was like, James Gunn said he's sorry. <laughs> but James Gunn said he's sorry. <laughs> so it's cool. He's sorry. He's sorry. He's cool. Oh, sorry. I'm a Canadian, baby. The demon bear took him over. Are you guys hearing like any of the dog shrieking in the background? Yeah, I mean, we, we hear some know, of it. Man. It's not like super loud, but I mean, yeah, okay, we, good. We yeah, because it's like there's two dogs and a bunch of drunk people. So, like, <laughs> it's like, uh... this is a really terrible question to ask all three of you. I, I will put forth my idea because I am old. What do you think? actually means to be a hero because we're going to end game you know it's like you know like whatever it takes like what what is your favorite hero archetype well i i think that's what i'm like kind of getting at with avengers in game with the, the the major characters i is like who is going to be the big character and i know we're doing comics but this is the end game tie-in I guess I I rerouted it pretty poorly, but like like who would you like to see in the MCU be the big head player? Like like it, any character? Like like it is is what I'm saying? I guess I, uh, I, I don't you know. I don't mean to shut this down, but like I mean I I would guess, and I'm not trying to speak for anybody else, but I mean I would guess the answer would be all of them. You know, like not just one person because it's you know the Avengers. I mean, you know, if you want to get super political and I will in a second, because I'm going to cut all this out of the podcast. But if, if no, you no, think, no, if I'm, you I'm think they're going to make, if you think they're going to make, if you think they're going to make Captain Marvel, the head person in the cinematic thing, like, 
I'm sure nobody wants to just see her do all the hard work, like fucking Yoda spinning around like, uh, you know, Sonic at the end of fucking Attack of the Clones and the main characters <laughs> were supposed to be, we're supposed to be Anakin and, and Obi-Wan, right? Like in my mind, I wanted to see Anakin and Obi-Wan take down Dooku, but no, it had to be fucking Sonic spinning Yoda because that's cool or whatever, right? And I guess green little short fucks need representation or whatever in that case. And so they did that, right? And, and if, if, if Captain Marvel is the spinny Sonic Yoda fuck in Avengers Endgame, I'm going to be super duper disappointed because what it should yeah. be is all five of them working together doing quote unquote whatever it takes. And yeah, I hope, you know, Rocket and Nebula and whoever, you know, Ant-Man chime in and, and bring their two cents in. But what what would I like to see? I'd like to see, you know, uh, the, the, the people whose contracts you mentioned expire all have their, their shot at Thanos and all put in a good lick. And the combination of those things is what leads to them, you know, restoring the universe. And if, if half of them die doing it, so be it. And then, you know, they go on about their business and make more movies and either recast or uh, give the mantles to other legacy characters. But, you know, that's... I, I would love... That, to, that's I would, my, that's my answer. The yeah. Of the Avengers. yeah. I'm serious. Huh? I would love Ant-Man to be the leader of the Avengers. Ant-Man? Ant-Man, yeah. Okay. And, and or, it, or Natasha. Is, that, or Natasha. Is, is, Paul, is Paul Red and Clueless what a hero means to you, Tony? Is that what it is? <laughs> but, 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 but the dude, man, he's been, he's been really good, dude. I mean, he really I'm, has. I'm still stuck on thinking of Captain Marvel doing all these somersaults up and over <laughs> Thanos going like, ah! 